This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. For the 23-24 season, the West Ham Way is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised West Ham fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King have launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Drop them a follow on Instagram and you won't just be the first to know about all this, you'll be helping out the West Ham way. Listen to the West Ham way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself Dave Walker and XWH employee. It's been a tough week for West Ham fans that ended with a poor performance at home to Everton which saw the Toffees leave with all three points. We talk about the two defeats and the manner of those defeats with pressure starting to mount again for David Moyes. Is that pressure justified or should the players be taking more responsibility? Is the style of play affecting the atmosphere in the stadium? We cover all this and more, including our trip to Athens, before getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. X, we needed a reaction from the boys after two straight defeats, but we didn't get one. A disappointing result against Everton. What went wrong this time? Um, I mean, it's kind of the same things, really, to be honest with you. Again, a lack of forward option. Antonio was um, not involved in the game, and then we don't have an option to, to replace him. You know, he tried Pakatar up front. He tried Bowen up front. You know, there was a period when Kudos was lurking up there. You know, it's, it's, it's just... Um, continuously the same thing and as it has been under David Moyes' leadership is that we have one option up front in Antonio and that we don't have any alternatives I also think a number of players underperformed um, there was too many not on their game uh, and we just we just didn't seem to fully apply ourselves to, to what should have been three points because I don't think Everton were particularly great you know, they had one chance really took it yes it was a good goal but there wasn't much else that they um they had against us and just similar, similar to the previous games, just not enough, not enough penetration up front. And then, you know, again, a, a def- I mean, it wasn't really a defensive error, but I still think they could have done better for the goal. And this, that's the, that's the, def- the difference. Well, we can't blame the Europa League game on this performance because I think we made what eight changes from Thursday. So we absolutely should have been physically ready for Everton. And apart from Antonio starting up front, I think I agreed with the team selection, to be honest, going into the game. So I'll answer my own question to this shortly. But putting it to you first, how much responsibility did the players need to take for these performances? Because, of course, everything's coming on top for David Moyes again now. But it seems at times the players don't get spoken about enough because ultimately they are on the pitch and they are the ones that are not putting the ball in the back of the net and conceding. So start with the players. Do they get enough stick? 
No, I don't think so. I think, unfortunately, uh, it's always the case, though, I guess, in football teams that the players can hide behind the manager, but I do believe that they do at times. You know, there's there's too many that didn't perform on um, um, Sunday, and like you said, they haven't got the excuse of having been to Greece. I mean, in fairness, they did all travel to Greece. Yes, they didn't play, um, but they did all travel, and, you know, as we know, because we made the same journey as a four-hour flight there and back and, you know, get into the hotel and stuff, so it is an ideal preparation for Sunday. But that said, you know, they didn't physically play um, <coughs> eight out of the 11 players and they, and they not from the start anyway, and they just didn't perform. It's as simple as that. And yes, I don't think they do get the criticism that they should get it. You know, Moyes is the is the target and that's always going to be the case with the manager and ultimately he is the one that picks the team so of course he does have to take responsibility but the players just haven't performed in that game and you know they can't take a free pass because they're just as just as much to blame yeah yeah listen i definitely think they do have to take a, a strong element of the blame because we've got too much quality on the pitch to deliver performances like that it's as simple as that but again, it, it has to come back to David Moisex because the problem is we are too one-dimensional. We play the same way pretty much every week, regardless of the opposition. This makes us very predictable, first and foremost. He has a history of sticking with underperforming players. Last season, it was Suchek. This season, it seems to be Antonio. And if the game ain't going our way, he never seems to have a plan B. And when people call Moyes a dinosaur, X, I think it's, I think it's because they look at the likes of Deserby, Emery, Postacoglu, Eddie Howe, Guardiola, Arteta, and see those managers play a style of football that's exciting. It's well-drilled, it's progressive. Certain passages of play have clearly been created on the training pitch. And yes, of course, you could argue, well, we don't have the squad of players that Guardiola and Arteta have. But if we take the players out of it, it's the way those players are being used that I think is impressive. And I don't think David Moyes has got that in his locker. It's almost as if he, he throws really good players on the pitch and just lets them get on with it. And I wonder what we could achieve if we had the type of manager I've mentioned, you know? Mm, yeah, I mean, there is that. I mean, like I said, we, me and you were very um, keen for Postelogu to become our manager last season or mm. start of this season. And obviously he's got Spurs. He's doing an amazing job there. I mean, obviously, I, I, I thought Tottenham would be a lot weaker this year, having lost Harry Kane. Uh, mm. She seems stronger without him, which is uh, which is credit. And a team spirit he seems to have created amongst the squad and with the fans does seem to be, you know, really, really impressive. Uh uh, David Moyes does have to take responsibility for this again as another poor performance equal responsibility I would say players and manager it is the same system but it is the system that probably 95% of West Ham fans would have would have gone with of course many of us might have dropped Antonio but there was but the system you know without having many other options up front that was kind of the team I felt he would go for I might have had someone at left back instead of Cresswell because I think as much as Cresswell's been a great servant for the club I think his time is coming to an end now and whilst I don't think he was hugely at fault during the game it's just a lack of pace and at full back it's just such a crucial criteria now to, to have pace or at least be able to have good uh, good positioning you know so maybe might not have had him there um, or maybe you would have played Mav- Mavropanos instead of Aguet so there's a few potential dilemmas that you could have had but on the whole that's the team that, the, that most people would have picked so I think the players do need to take responsibility for it of course we're within our rights to discuss other managers I think it's too soon to make a decision on David Moyes yet yes it's worrying that um, there's some of the negativity and some of the poor performances of last year it seems to be creeping back again but you know I think it's too early to make that call yet um, but of course if this continues for much longer it's a, it's a dilemma they're going to have to face up to um, but yeah it, it's concerning the, the, the last three games but you know I think it's too early to make a final decision as yet but of course things have to improve dramatically within the next you know month or so I mean I agree with you in terms of team selection again with the exception of Antonio I don't think he could have done much more um, but again, I, I go back to the way he uses those players. 
And I mean, I, I hate to bring him up, but when you look at Declan Rice, when he went to Arsenal, you know, he pretty much after a few days kind of alluded to the fact he's learned more at Arsenal than he did at West Ham, kind of alluded to it. And I think yeah. that speaks volumes as well. And and it, again, it kind of proves my point with the type of manager that knows how to use these players. And going back to the kind of dinosaur comment, I think these managers that I've mentioned, apart from Postacoglu, are typically, I think, at least 10 years younger. And I don't want to be ageist against David Moyes, but I think with that kind of youth, I think they see the game differently because it, it has progressed since the 90s. And I think a lot of these managers are more in, innovative, sometimes a little bit revolutionary in the way that they play. And looking at the bigger picture, X, potentially the more concerning bigger picture, is I've got two questions for you, right? Yes, we can attract good players to this club, but can we keep them as things stand? Because whilst the likes of Bowen and Suchek have signed long-term deals, it doesn't necessarily mean they can't leave if they want to. And secondly, does this style of play affect the atmosphere in the stadium? Because that's been discussed quite a lot at the moment. You know, you look at teams that play progressive, expansive, exciting football, and their stadiums never seem to come under question when it comes to atmosphere, but ours do on a regular basis. So I don't know which question you want to take first, but I think they're interesting points. Well, yeah. Also, just to go to the age thing, I do understand your point, and I do think it is a case of, um, you know, it's not necessarily the actual number that you are in terms of age is since to how um, welcoming and uh, you are to sort of modern methods and how much yeah. you're prepared to research those and yes, be involved in them because, you know, I mean, Guardiola's in his 50s, what, 51, 52? You know, Emery's mm. in his 50s as well. So they're not like, you know, 35, 36 like, you know, mm. Arteta is. So I don't think it's necessarily a physical number of age. I think it is how you are as a manager. I mean, you can get managers that are 65, 70. If they embrace new methods, then it doesn't necessarily matter on the age. That's the, the slight problem that we have with Moyes. Well, a slight problem, the problem we have, and it's what Warburton alluded to as well in that interview that he did with us where he said that David Moyes is very sort of stuck in his ways and very rigid and you know it's okay when those ways are working as they did when we won the conference league for example but when those ways aren't working then there's no flexibility to consider an alternative opinion because he's very very set in what he wants to do and as Warburton said the coaching role of the members of staff that he has under him whilst they do a bit of work obviously if Moyes doesn't agree with them well then their opinion doesn't matter um, and that's why Warburton left so there, there is that problem with Moyes perhaps not being as tolerant to new ideas as some managers would be um, Gary, what, can you just remind me what the other questions were sorry yeah so in terms of the, the way things are under David Moyes and that style of play uh, and, and, and what he lacks as a manager are we potentially going to lose good players because of that well at the moment, no, and I do think I don't think so at the moment because I do think I don't want to keep using that word, and I know people will say what well, I've been saying since the World Cup: he should go, etc., etc., etc. I do think we still need to have a bit more time before we make a decision. We are on the back of winning a trophy. We are still top of the league in the in the Europa League. We are in the is it the quarterfinals? Can't remember what round we are, but we're still we've got 16. Arsenal on Wednesday, so we're sixteen. Yeah, so we play Arsenal on Wednesday. Um, you know. Is. I know I keep making excuses for him, but I do think it's too early to call. However, if this does carry on, yes, the style of football is a problem. Yesterday, I was bored. I'm not going to lie. I watched the Newcastle Wolves game, which traditionally for me wouldn't be a fixture. I'd go, yeah, I'm going to watch this, but... It we have issues with the TV in my house is that Strictly Come Dancing is like the equivalent <laughs> of like you know me watching West Ham in a, in a cup <laughs> yeah. final in this I house. I feel so, your pain mate believe yeah, me. Exactly so I'm not going to participate in part of that with you know my wife and my two daughters and my son's not at the age yet where he'll come and watch the football so I did everything to avoid that so I ended up watching the Wolves Newcastle game and it was, a, it was a really really good game. Really interesting really exciting. Mm. Both teams were attacking you know some good moves and then I sat there and I thought, God, I just don't remember feeling like this about a West Ham game. And then obviously come Sunday, I thought we might win. We didn't. It was really boring. You know, I, I was just saying to someone there before we got the podcast, I was at the game. I was watching the game. 
I watched the whole match, but I, I knew Danny Ings came on because I remember him mucking up a few things, but I don't remember him coming on for Cresswell, and I don't even remember seeing that happen. So God knows what I was doing at the time. I was in my seat. I'm in such a daydream because it's not interesting. I'm not noticing things now. And, um, yeah, so it is a worry, the style of football and the way we we are playing when we when we don't win. You know, you can excuse it when we win and people don't, you know, people, yes, they talk about possession and stuff, but we had possession yesterday. I mean, I haven't seen the stats, but I, I think we had more of the ball than them, perhaps, but we just didn't make it count. Um, it will be a long-term problem if we continue to lose, but we we, we got to sort this out very, very quickly. The style of football isn't exciting to watch when we lose, and it's not overly exciting when we win. But when you win, you can excuse it. we just got to get back to winning ways as soon as possible, and, you know, hopefully that starts with Arsenal or win against Arsenal. I know I said this about Olympiacos and Everton but it still applies if we win against Arsenal and then win against Brentford things are back on track I know you can't keep saying that and there has to be a point where you draw the line and say no enough is enough we need to change but I don't believe that that is at this point right now. I think you still got three, four games maybe before you make that call. This is not ideal. And the manager situation isn't ideal full stop. The fact that he hasn't got a contract at the end of the season, you can kind of understand why when these sort of blips happen. Um, but I don't think that helps the situation. You either back him or you don't. We're kind of in limbo again. And, um, yeah, it's it's not a great situation, but I just think we need to stay calm for the time being and then just see how we go for the next month and then make a call then. And then you've got, you know, it'll be the end of November, you've got December, and then you've got January transfer. We know so it wouldn't be too late, but I want to make it very, very clear because people seem to miss this point when I say it. I'm not calling for Moyes to be sat now. I'm saying there's concerns. I'm saying that things need to improve dramatically, but for now you give him the benefit of the doubt to do that. And I think you might have answered this question accidentally, to be honest. But do you think football under David Moyes does affect the atmosphere in the stadium? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think any football where you're not playing well affects the, uh, the atmosphere. You know, there's been mm. times at Upton Park where it's been, you know, terrible and boring. You know, there's under every manager, you know, you look back and you think, oh, we had some great football under Harry Redknapp and some great football under Slavon Bilic. But that, that wasn't consistent. That wasn't all the time. Yes, there were games, but then there was games under David Moyes where it's been really exciting. You know, I, I look back at the most exciting games at the London stadium and you include like the Sevilla game, um, you include games against Tottenham and you know, we beat Chelsea this season, it was a good game you know, yes we got you know, benefit of the doubt they're missing the penalty and stuff but it was a good game and that wasn't that long ago we beat Brighton, not that long ago, you know all teams are going to have blips, look at Manchester United look at Ajax, I mean, have you seen them at their bottom of the league in the Dutch division are they? Course, yeah they've really got two points all season since losing Kudos and um, Alvarez they're, they're like it's just like it's unheard of in Holland but then yeah they're doing disastrous and all teams will have blips and we've got one now we're in it it's obvious that's two very poor league performances and a poor cup performance so it needs to turn but I don't think you can I thought this would happen with West Ham. I'm not surprised it's happened because people are too, have been moist out for a long time now. I just don't think three games is enough to get evidence to dismiss a manager that's brought you your first trophy in 40 years. Yeah, look, if you look at the black and whites of it, it's a very valid point. But if you look beyond the black and whites of it, that a lot of people are then I think it's a point you could argue against because I I don't want to go over old ground, but at the end of the day, it was a competition that you should have won because we didn't play anyone up until up until the final. And even then I expected us to win it. And I did say it was, it would be unforgivable if he didn't, but credit to him, he did. Um, and yes, we've got our first trophy in over 40 years because we won a competition. We should have won. And the other thing that kind of needles me a little bit, and it, it does seem to be the kind of default response to let's get rid of David Moyes is right. Well, who do we get in? 
you know, I'm nowhere near qualified enough to answer that question. But if you ask the question to Tim Starton, he's probably already got two or three answers. Well, for well he has. This is what's going to come in my section. He's already he's already prepared a list. So there is a list there, and there are managers out there. I you know I named some that I would look at um, last week. There's there's definitely managers out there now. Uh, yes, last season when we were in the relegation battle, I used that line and I agreed with it. Then I agreed. I don't think there was anyone that would have taken the job at that point at West Ham that we could have got that would have been better than David Moyes but I will say you know on, on the podcast now I believe there are alternatives out there I just still think it's too quick to bring them in right now mm, that's fair enough I mean I know you're not big on stats X but if we look at this season we've conceded 1.8 goals per game which puts us 15th in the Premier League we've faced 18.2 shots which puts us 19th in the Premier League we faced an average of six shots on target per game, which puts us 17th in the Premier League, and expected goals against us per game is 2.1, and that puts us 18th in the Premier League. So I know it's all about the win, but surely we have to be asking certain questions. We do have to be asking certain questions, but then, you know, I'll throw a stat at you as well. West Ham have played 10 games this season, right, in the league. We sit ninth. We sit three points off sixth, which if you was to offer anyone the league place that is a realistically a good season for West Ham. Sixth would certainly be it. You look at the teams that we've played. We played Man City, who are third. We've played Liverpool, who are fourth. We've played Aston Villa, who are fifth. We've played Newcastle, who are sixth. We've played Brighton, who are seventh. So five out of those ten games have been against um, teams in the top half. And then you know Chelsea, who we've played. You know that's a big team there as well. You know the, the, yes, we've played Luton and Sheffield. United and Bournemouth, but the, the out of those ten, they're all a lot of them are, are teams at the, t- at the you know at the top end of the table and in recent games as well. Um, so you know you could look at that stat and, and say that when we start, you know, we got Brentford next. Our next our next run of fixtures. Um, let me just load it up to be precise. Um, is much more, you know, is is what you're going to be able to judge West Ham's season on. You know, if you take out the cup games and we just focus on the league games, you got Brentford next week, which, you know, is a tough game. But, you know, I would want to draw out of that maybe. Then we've got Forest at home. I'd want to win out of that. Burnley away. I'd want to win out of that. Palace at home. I'd want to win out of that. That's four fixtures. Tottenham away, you know, the way they're playing. That's probably a loss, although you never know what's going to happen in a London derby. Then you've got Fulham away, which I would hope to get... Um, a result in and then Wolves at home you know that then then you start to get a bit harder because you've got Man United and Arsenal and Brighton and stuff but that's the that's the point I think there that up to that Wolves game when we'll fully know whether David Moyes is uh, the right man for the job if at that Wolves game we've scraped four points maybe out of those fixtures then I think yeah in December before January window would be the time to look at here, look at another option but now it's just way too soon to do that it, it really is you got three free games I know people are going to be screaming at me because it's a very passionate subject they'll be saying you know he's been like this for years and years and years but it hasn't we've got we've, we've won a trophy we've, we've been in Europe three years in a row you know we, we prior to last season we did alright in the league you know we, we had to because that's how we qualified for Europe we're sitting ninth in the league now you know we're not sitting we're not sitting 17th 18th like we were last year when we were having this discussion you know we're miles away from the relegation zone Luton have got five points we've got 14 and that's three three wins there um, so let's just calm down a bit and see where we are in three in you know a month or so's time yeah i mean the bournemouth game i don't remember being a spectacular performance but it was a good point away from home chelsea was a brilliant result but you know you could argue that chelsea are going through one of the most transitional periods a football club has ever been through in their history so it was a very good time to play them brighton we got absolutely battered I mean, I'm looking at it here. I mean, I know it's all about the win. I know it's all about the win, but we had 25 shots against us and 78% possession Brighton had at that time. And I think from memory, Ariola was man of the match, which probably tells you everything you need to know. Then, of course, you can accept or, or sorry, expect uh, a win away to Luton. That was a, a decent performance and, and we got the three points. Tough away day that. But we conceded three at home to Man City. 
um, free away to Liverpool, uh, beat Sheffield United, fair play, uh, spirited against arguably a tired Newcastle side, two all. Um, we got absolutely battered by Aston Villa. Um, and it was a shit performance against um, Everton, and it was against Olympiacos as well, which we'll come to. So, again, I know it's easy to look at the black and whites, but I think the reason people are getting a concern is if you look beyond the black and whites, I, 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 I just, I, I, it's a bit worrying. Of course it is, mate, and I'm worried, and I'm, I agree with them. He's worrying. I'm not sitting here defending David Moyes. You can't defend that performance against Everton or Villa because they were so bad and boring, and you know, particularly, you know. Right, Aston Villa, we probably you can kind of excuse losing away there because they look like they're the best of the the next bunch of teams, if that makes sense. Um, sort of the Newcastle of last season, they look like. Um, but the, the performance yesterday was terrible, as it was against Olympiacos. And, you know, if you're going to rest that many players against Olympiacos, then you expect a better performance against Everton. Otherwise, you might have, we might as well put a stronger team out against Olympiacos if we were just going to play like that against Everton. So, yeah, everyone's right to be concerned. I'm concerned. I am. But it, you, you know, it's just, I just feel it's just too quick. You know, if you, if you was to look at, you know, there are managers out there, but they're never proven to be the... The, you know, they're never guaranteed that they're going to work at your club. I think you'd have to make a decision when things are at the point where you can't see any alternative other than just losing and and not achieving what you should do. At this point, I'm not at that point where I'm despairing, thinking, where's the next three points going to come from? I'm thinking that's two bad performances. He needs to sort it out quickly. But that's what needs to happen. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, we're all in agreement that it wasn't good enough against Everton yesterday. Let's hear what the gaffer had to say about the game. It's frustrating, boss, I suppose, more than anything, because we had a lot of the ball, but, but just couldn't quite do what you probably want us to do with it. No, well, they were always going to make give you the ball and probably we would have more of it. I think we did. I don't know exactly what it was, but uh, ultimately you have to score the goals. Mm. And, uh, you know, we've, had, we've been played games recently here where we've not had much of the ball and we've scored the goals on the counter-attack. Mm. I'm not saying that was their goal today, but it was it was a little bit like that. And, uh, you know, we were the, the ones who got done by a counter-attack, really. Mm. We were probably the, the better team in the first half, but was it was it that th- it was probably a game where the first goal was going to be very important? Yeah, I, I think we were probably the better team. I, I thought the second half we actually looked more likely to score as we went on. We looked a bigger threat. Mm. I thought the first half we probably kept the ball and done quite well with the ball, but we didn't go anywhere with it. Mm. Everton, you know the way that Sean Dyche's teams play, they... Uh, try and keep things compact and I suppose we have to give them a bit of credit for that as well yeah they're really good at it you know, if you look how hard their, their wide players and fullbacks work to stop crosses coming in and making us force us to go back and play back inside regular so that was a feature we were aware of it we, It was this was a game I was I was in many ways I was worried about because Everton have been much better away from home mm. uh, and they're a side which I think it took Liverpool, I don't know, 65, 70 minutes to get the first goal and the second one on 90-odd yesterday. So, yeah, last week, I should say. So they're not a side which are, are giving up goals cheaply or, or easily. With that in mind, you, you changed the team and perhaps made us a, a smaller team, I suppose, with, with Mo, a slightly different team. Um, what was the thinking behind that? Were you, were you happy with the way things panned out with, with that with that change? Uh yeah, we've got we'll get players for competition. Mm. I've, you know, I've got an ability to to change them because we don't need to play the same ones. Mm. We thought it was right to give Mo the opportunity. I think he he played well today. Mm. I thought he played well individually. I just don't know if we got got a final pass or a mm. cross or something. I thought he always looked lively and, and going to make things happen. Mm. But yeah, that's the way it is. You know, we we have to give up something and we need to find ways of of trying to get. 
uh, good players in the team, but because we have a few, we're able to change them. Just lastly, then obviously, you know, we, we don't overreact to things here. Um, and we've got another game, Wesley. I know yeah. it gets like a bit cliched, you know, after you lose a game, mm-hmm. but you can only win the next one, can't you? Yeah, look, I'm disappointed because we've lost here. I think mm-hmm. our record here at the London Stadium has mm-hmm. been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I'm disappointed because I thought that I knew it would be tough and I knew that it was going to be really, really close the game, uh, that we couldn't do it. But again, you have a chance to get rid of that and move it a game in midweek. Speaking of the game on Wednesday, it's Arsenal at home in the Carabao Cup, round of 16. How do you feel about that game? Nervous because of the current performance level. You know, is he? I can't go into that confidently like I would have maybe a month ago. Um, I think the, the crucial thing is going to be team selection from both sides. I'm led to believe. Obviously, I don't have the contacts that I have in West Ham, no way near, but I'm led to believe Arsenal will have a strong but rotated team. I think the likes of Declan Rice will start from the subs bench. Um, so for me, I would put out a strong side. Look, because Quetta and Alvarez are going to be suspended for Brentford, so you certainly play those two. Those two need to start against Arsenal, and I would put out a, a relatively strong team. Yes, we have a few changes, but not many. Um, and we need to go to win that. I don't feel confident about it. If it was a league game, I'd be very worried. The fact that it's a cup game, I don't think it's top of Arsenal's priorities. It means more to us than it does to them. If we can put out a good team, get a good atmosphere. The, I know the atmosphere goes in hand with the performance levels. I accept that, so I don't want to sit here criticising the fans. But this, because you know the team didn't give us a reason to cheer. But this is a big game for West Ham Arsenal in the cup. Let's get a great atmosphere going. You know the light games are generally better than a one o'clock kickoff on a Sunday. So let's get this atmosphere going and let's really go into that game and and, and do our best to win it because if we win that that's huge you know there's a lot of all Premier League ties there's a lot of Premier League teams that have already got out anyway so this is a great opportunity for us so I wouldn't say I feel confident but if he picks a strong team against what will be a weakened Arsenal team I believe then I think we've got every chance of winning this and if we can start early um, start with, with high intensity from both the players and the fans then I think we can do it Mm. Well, let's talk about the uh, Olympiacos game. I mean, sadly, we have to reflect on another poor performance that delivered a disappointing result. But give us your thoughts on that. Or they, well, it was exactly that. The team didn't perform until we made the substitutions. Uh, substitutions turned the game, although Pakatar was one of those, despite an absolutely world-class goal. I felt he gave the ball away continuously in that game. Mm. But the other the other substitutions, and I've got a bit of an issue with Pakatar at the moment. I think he's a great player, but he needs to know when to do the tricks and when not to do the tricks. And again, there was a couple of instances against Everton where he was too casual. One where he just didn't even go to the ball and they counter-attacked from it because he just left mm. it to the defender. Um, I think it was a p- poor performance. It worries me that the fringe players that played put in that level of performance because really, if you look at this, the players that played, you would think that most of those players if they were signed by Olympiacos, would get in Olympiacos's team. You know, when you look at it, you know, um, Kera is a German international that's played for Paris Saint-Germain. You know, he should be able to walk into a Greek team's defence. Mm-hmm. Mavropanos is a Greek international. You know, so you can assume from that he would get in there. You know, Ogbonna, would he? Would he? I don't, wouldn't he? I don't know, but he is an Italian international with bags of experience. You know, I think... I think we missed Emerson against Everton as well. I think that's worth noting. I think I said Cresswell didn't have the pace, but I think Everton, Everton, Emerson's runs down that left wing and his creativity were missed. So that's, we can't blame it all on one player, but I think that was a factor. Um, And then you look at the midfield, you know, Suchek would get into Panathinaikos, uh, that's a big mistake to make, into Olympiakos' team. <laughs> um, you know, you would think Ben Rama, would you? You would think Fornells would. So all of these players should have performed better. I think the atmosphere didn't didn't help us in the sense that it was so passionate. I think that maybe that inspired their players on more than it inspired ours. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a poor performance until those subs happened and it's not the end of the world. Again, that's to bring con Context, we are still top of the table. I think we'll beat them. 
in a, in a couple of weeks' time when we play them. I think we'll also beat um, the Serbian team away from home. And then we should get a result against the German team. I think we'll finish top of the group, so it's not a disaster in the grand scheme of things. But, yeah, the level of performance wasn't wasn't good enough really and it's disappointing for the likes of you me and the thousands that made that trip out there to see such a half-hearted display when obviously the fans have gone out of their way and have been fully committed you expect the same from the players so yeah it was a it was a disappointing performance um a great trip i'm glad we went but the performance was one of the the worst things about the trip to be fair yeah, it was. It was so frustrating because whilst I'm a, a big fan of the fact that we can rotate now and the squad is a bit bulkier to accommodate uh, European games and cup games, etc. I think looking back, I don't think we showed them enough respect with the team selection, really. And as yeah. for those that played, I, I just thought we were poor across the pitch. I think you, you're spot on. Silly mistakes, not making runs, not opening space. The runs that were made wasn't being spotted. Uh, there wasn't any urgency, no quality in the final third. Just just really poor, really poor. But on a lighter note, what did you think of Athens? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, we weren't really there long enough to fully no. sample it. And everywhere that we went was in close proximity to the hotel because obviously when I'd found out that they were coaching us in and you had to get the coach to the ground um, I changed our hotel to be literally right next to where the coaches were so we didn't see a great deal um, we did go see and also the times we arrived because obviously we arrived late on the uh, Wednesday and then left early on the Friday but we went to the I always get the name wrong Acropolis um, and that was worth doing um, so I'm glad so I went there had a nice meal in the facility of the uh, of the landmark so that was great uh, I liked the atmosphere the atmosphere inside the stadium was great to sample a really good experience to see passionate home fans that literally all sides of the stadium continuously making noise throughout the whole game so that was really good and yeah I'm glad to say that I went to Athens good company um at the, at the game um so yeah we mixed with some good people met some nice people that introduced themselves to so yeah a, a, a good experience I'm glad that I'm glad that we went yeah I mean a lot of people uh, went to the Acropolis I mean it's one of the things you've got to do when you're there really isn't it um but I remember when you first mentioned the Acropolis to me and the fact that you wanted to go I thought it was a pub so I think, I think that level of culture is wasted on me, I'll be honest. Um, but, you know, that's for my faults. So I, I went because it was something you was really keen to do. And I, and I was up for doing it as well. But, I mean, you know, if we have it right, it is a cunt of a walk um, to ultimately see some old lumps of concrete. I mean, it didn't blow me away, but I'm pleased. <laughs> I'm pleased we ticked it off. <laughs> and it's nice to say you've done it. But I must make this point, and I, and I hope I don't offend anyone. And I was trying to think, is this going to be offensive if I bring this up or is it not? And I've got to be honest, I don't know. So I'm taking a bit of a punt on this. Should we um, have spoke about this before off air, considering some of the gaffes you and Martin have done over the years? Well, I, I, okay, I, 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 let me just have a crack at it, right? And, okay. and if, this is, it is, if this is painfully offensive, X, I'll take it out the show, right? Okay, but, fair enough. Obviously, a big part of the tour, or everything about the tour, really, was based on Greek mythology. And... Mm. Um, I, I've got to be honest, I'm listening to it, this tour guide, right? Who, by the way, was blowing out her ass on this walk. I couldn't believe it. I mean, she must do this walk four times a day. She was more fucked than we were. Uh, yeah. Remember, we're stopping at every point, and she's like, oh, dear. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really am. Uh, <laughs> I was in the SBC. Oh, I said to you, fuck it, she's banging trouble in. Well, she, she, uh, she had really, um, rather unfortunately, unflattering sweat marks all over her as well. <laughs> yeah. which, I, which I couldn't stop looking at you know those things where you're not meant to look but <laughs> yeah. always, you can't help yourself and every yeah. time she moved I was oh my god there's another one and they were all in the parts that you really wouldn't want people to know you were sweaty in as well. no, no, <laughs> so no. yeah that was uh, that was um, unfortunate for her and like you say firstly she must have do that two three four times a day so you'd think she would be a bit more fitter and second of all you'd think she'd also be aware of the attire that she should probably be wearing and you know close mm. uh, close holding tops that don't leave any gaps around your armpits and are a colour that would show up sweat would not be advisable when you're completely unfit you know I, I went for the standard black t-shirt and you'd get away with it then she needs to sort of 
have a look at some of that. And this is coming from a fat, <laughs> overweight, unfit bloke. So, you know, she's banging trouble when I'm giving advice on that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, by the way, this wasn't the offensive topic of discussion. We're getting there now. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, she, she's talking, bless her. She was a nice woman and yeah. um, understandably very proud of, um, you know, the culture of Athens, et cetera, et cetera. But she's telling stories within this Greek mythology and I'm standing there thinking, what a load of bollocks. I mean, I've never heard so much shit in my life, right? And let me give you an example. This one blew me away, this. Athena, right? And from memory, I don't know if she's the god of love. I don't know. But to be honest, that was the the least of my worries with this story in terms of what her roles and responsibilities became. It was all about how she was born. I mean, I've never heard such a load of shit in my life, right? So... Zeus, we've all heard of Zeus, right? And this is it in a nutshell, right? So this is Dave from Barking Road giving the version that, um, that this woman gave. <laughs> Who would have thought the podcast would have featured this, like, insight into Greek mythology from Dave, from Hanel. No, right. um, it's a bit, it reminds me a little bit of Cole. What was his name? Dave, uh, David, um, Ricky Gervais' oh, mate. Carl Pilkington. Carl yeah. Pilkington. It reminds me, yeah. a little bit, reminds me a little bit of this. But go ahead. <laughs> I did just get this funny vision flash up. I'm sorry to digress, but... That'd be a terrible Google review from me as well in the Acropolis, wouldn't it? Such an iconic like, <laughs> scene. And I've just got this vision of this couple that are all looking forward to going to Greece to see the Acropolis. And then it, the geezer's looking and he's gone, oh, we've got a new review here, babe, on the Acropolis. And she's like, oh, what's it say? This Dave Walker is, says, uh, it's a cunt of a walk. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of ag just to see a lump of old concrete. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so and they talked about, about a load of old bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that brings me back to this story, right? Because this is a definition of a right load of old bollocks. And I have to say, at, at certain points when she's telling us these stories, I'm struggling to maintain eye contact because I feel like a bit of a mug listening to it. Because the thing is, whilst it's Greek mythology, you can tell she believes this actually happened, right? So get on this, right? Zeus impregnated his second wife, right? But then got paranoid that his child would become more powerful than he would be. So he ate her. He ate <laughs> his wife. What's wrong right? about that? Well, it seems like a bit of an overreaction reaction to me. But well, so you some home shopping money? Oh, you ain't had the worst of it, by the way. This ain't the worst <laughs> of it. So he ate his missus. He consumed his missus, right? And then had a, a right bastard of a headache for weeks to a point where someone, I don't know who this someone was, some random, clumped him over the head with a bat broke his skull open and a fully formed Athena was born from his fucking brain, right? Who the fucking hell writes this stuff? I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and, and another one that, was, that wasn't as far-fetched as that, but I'm thinking, as if that happened, there's this um, doctor and he had a patient and he couldn't cure his illness, right? So I think he had the ump about it and maybe started to question his own ability as a doctor. So with the ump, he's gone walking through the forest and he comes across this snake and probably because he's got the ump, I don't think there was any reason to it, he battered the snake to death. <laughs> then, out of the bushes, comes another snake with a herb in its mouth. And this new snake resurrects the other snake, brings it back to life. So this doctor took that herb out of the snake's mouth and treated the um, the ill patient with it. And I'm just thinking, I think I've heard enough of this. Like, this is such a load of old bollocks, it's unbelievable. Um, but, you know, they, they do, they really buy into it. They really buy into it. And, but isn't, uh, isn't that, just, <laughs> I'm going to have to be very careful what I say, but could you not put that to most religious stories that they, they are quite um, far-fetched? Yes, uh, fucking, you, you can. Yeah, I mean, I've... <laughs> I'll answer that, but, but yeah, I think I think that I think with these stories to try and like, save our like uh, our, our political correctness a little bit, I think with these stories is not necessarily the actual. What's the word like? How true the story actually is. It's the meaning behind the story. So whilst they might use quite extravagant stories that don't seem to have any like credibility to them, they stick in your head. And therefore, the meaning of the story is what sticks in your head. And it's the learning from that meaning that you're meant to take rather than the actual ins and outs of it. Because let's be honest, like 
Noah's Ark, for example, you know, you're sticking a, a lion next to a goat, you know, that, that, if I know animal nature, I don't think that goat's going to survive the journey. How did a whale get on the boat, for example, to lift them, in fact? You know, there's quite a few flaws to the logic in that story, but I think... The logic of the story is you, you know, animals were saved because they're beautiful creatures and therefore you should love them like you love her. If anything else, I would, I would guess. So, maybe. What, what did you learn then from Athena being born out of Zeus's fucking brain after getting clumped over the head with a bat? Well, that you shouldn't eat your wife, maybe. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, to be fair, I've not, I've not, I've not actually analysed that one too much, but maybe it shows the the power of the female species that uh, you know that if you you know you should respect them and you should, their opinions are as valid as anyone else's. Eating them and <laughs> sentencing them to death if they if 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 you don't agree with them is not the best the best way to to deal with the problem. The, the the way to deal with the problem is to, I don't know, try and incorporate their opinion and uh, listen to them like you would a male feature uh, figure. I very much agree with that. I think we're clutching at straws a little bit. <laughs> I've never analysed it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, it was a, it was a top, uh, it was a box well ticked. So I'm pleased we've done it. But listen, the football was shit. But it was another quality away day in the bank. And talking of away days, X, it's Brentford on Saturday. I know you touched on it. That's not an easy game. I mean, again. How do you feel about that? Not the, over. Not, that? Have we, uh, do you fancy us? I mean, what are your thoughts? I'm not overly confident, to be fair, and I, and I do worry about that game because, as I've already said, we won't have Pacatar, we won't have Alvarez. And I don't know why. Alvarez seems to have been playing a bit more further forward in the last few games. I liked it when he just sat deep and protected the defence. He's been and, and Ward Prowse seems to have gone deeper as well. They seem to almost be sitting defensive midfielders that can roam. I don't like it like that. I'd stick Alvarez as the as the the one that just sits back and let Ward Prowse and whoever is alongside Kudos or Pakatar, whoever it may be, have more free ranging. I think that seems to have changed over recent games, whether that's a conscious tactical decision or whether that has just naturally evolved in the games. Um that seems to be an issue. But without Alvarez and without Pakatar, we're obviously missing two of our key players. Um I think you're going to struggle to replace those two, but you obviously have to. I would, I would make a few changes. Obviously, we've got the Arsenal game on on the, before that, which I would play those two. But I'd make a couple of changes. You, you could consider putting five at the back, which would be negative. You could consider bringing in Mavropanos, maybe, um, and that compensating for the lack of Alvarez, and then maybe going with, um, you know, more sort of. Attack minded midfield with, you know, Kudos and, um, Kudos and, uh, Bowen and, um, you know, Suchek maybe in those, in those three, um, sort of uh, the more advanced ones and then, you know, five at the back. I don't know. I've really thought this through, but you need to, you need to, um, really look at, um, uh, who is going to be able to cope with them because they are a good team. You know, they haven't got Ivan Tony at the moment, um, which is big for, big for us and anyone that plays them, but they seem to be coping quite well. A credit to them for being able to do that. But, you know, I would, I would take, I would take a draw out of that game. Definitely. Oh, I'd bite your hand off for it. I think he's another manager that probably doesn't get spoken about enough with credibility. I mean, the, the job he's done there at Brentford is quite incredible, really, when you look. Mm time there and that is going to be a tough game definitely well on Sunday the 12th of November we have a brilliant pre-match event to look forward to at the Colour Factory in Hackney Wick before the Forest game where Mad Dog will be joined on stage by Marlon Harewood and Anton Ferdinand tickets are available now and if you're a patron you pay on the door with a discounted rate X you looking forward to it Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I think they're two great guests. They're good mates. They've still remained friends um, since their West Ham days. Both played at a really important time for West Ham. You know, playoff wins, playoff losses, um, FA Cup final. You know, both had their controversial reasons for leaving the club. Both claim to love the club now. Um, both work as ambassadors at the club. So then, you know, they're going to be able to talk about their time at the club plus their time, um, now and what's going on at, at West Ham. And I think the two of them will have great chemistry. Um, Mad Dog's brilliant at getting the best out of his guests, um, through, um, you know, good questioning and good sense of humor himself. So I think it'll be a really, really good event. You know, you've got three. If you include Mark, and three 
players that made a big impact on the on the club throughout its history. So we're at Hackney Wick now. You're literally ten minutes walk from from the ground. You don't have to pay all inclusive now. We've got two options. There is that option still, but you can come and just turn up and watch the Q and A and have a coke. You know, and it's still reasonably priced, particularly for patrons. So I I don't understand why people wouldn't give it a go great auction with some brilliant match worn shirts and and stuff this week um and you know great raffle as well um and yeah it's uh great music great music of course um handsome dj you know there's a there's also <laughs> there's all sorts of perks so yeah i am um, i i would give it a go if you're looking for something to do and you know it should most people that come to the event say they prefer that to the game so i hope in this case they prefer the event and the game um but yeah it should be it should be good obviously marlon played for nottingham forest for and started his career there so there'll be good insights the opponents that we face as well i think he still does a bit of work for them possibly in their account Academy. so yeah it's all round definitely worth attending and give it a go if, if you haven't before and of course we've got the evening one as well in Ben Fleet that the details have gone out for as well Collins and Everington on that one again best mates best men at each other's wedding you know again it'll be a brilliant um uh, dialogue between them Collins obviously still does all the podcasts at the club Matty's just got the Colchester job on an interim basis so there's they're all both involved in football still from a from a uh, involved uh, position so yeah again both will be brilliant yeah looking forward to it okay you know what time it is calling all West Ham fans are you a patron of the West Ham way if not why not For the price of a point, you get top quality content on a daily basis to include the famous West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X, over 100 interviews with ex-players and celebrity fans, Mad Dog Bites with Martin Allen, a show with Tony Cotty, the U Irons podcast, the West Ham Way USA, a transfer window show with Demis Chef, and expert pre-match analysis. There are virtual events with ex-players, written articles, match day discussion, away day burger reviews, in-depth match reports, and if you want to be the first to get reliable, accurate, exclusive news on all club affairs, you'll get exactly that from the best ITK in the business, ex-West Ham United employee. All that and more delivered to your phone for a fiver a month. It's the daddy. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.